Now, this weekend, I want to talk to you about Balaam's uh, donkey that speaks, okay? And I think that this is a fascinating uh, uh, encounter in the Word of God for us to examine because from the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 22 to 25, there are four chapters in which uh, Israel has this encounter with the Moabites uh, during their time in the wilderness. Now, particularly fascinating in this account because there is a person by the name of Balaam that appears in these accounts, okay? And Balaam doesn't just appear in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, in the letters that Jesus wrote in uh, the book of Revelations, the name Balaam appears several times, and there is a spirit of Balaam, a demonic spirit. And so there is something very interesting here. And in essence, what happened is that Balak, the king of Moab, was afraid of Israel after Israel defeated the Ammonites. And he goes and he engages Balaam to come and curse Israel. Now, I want to point out something interesting for us. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 3, it says this, that Moab was exceedingly afraid of Israel because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Now, this is parallel in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 12, second part of verse 12, where it tells us the children of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. And the Egyptians were in dread of the children of Israel, okay? And so the Egyptians were essentially propelled by fear and began to enslave Israel. Likewise, the Moabites acted in fear in coming against Israel. And all this despite Israel having no intentions to harm any of these nations. A simple warning is given to us here that when we, are act, when we act in fear and fear is our propulsion, we always end up doing what is wrong, okay? I think what is also very interesting in, in these two passages is the description of how Israel multiplied and increased, okay? And I want to encourage us that it is the will of God for us to multiply physically, naturally. Amen? So all the young couples who are newly married here, you know, you're still of reproductive age. I want to encourage you, please don't stop at two, don't stop at three. I hope the day will come we walk to church, into church and we see families with six, seven kids. Amen? I want to commend the, uh, the deacons to uh, live by and set the example and um, have a few more kids, okay? <laughs> You know, honestly, one of these days, I am going to talk about God's will for our wombs, okay? Because I feel passionately that this is something that as uh, Christians, we have failed to understand. We've allowed the world's uh, values to drive us instead of what God's values in this, this, in this area uh, drives us towards. So someday I will talk about this, okay? But I want to come back to this because the account of Balaam really poses for us some um, confounding questions. Like, for example, who is Balaam? You know, how is it that this guy knows God and God appears to him and speaks to him almost face-to-face like. And then at the same time, Balaam clearly is not some kind of an upright person, right? Uh, though he was not allowed to curse Israel, in the end, he gave ba- Balak a scheme to go around that and to entice Israel to sin against the Lord such that God's judgment would come upon the nation of Israel. Now, how is it that God can use a person like that, someone that's conniving, manipulating, who really uh, doesn't uh, seem upright at all? And some of these questions, I want to say this, that I may not be able to give you a definitive answer because Balaam is truly an ambiguous personality in the Bible. It's hard to understand who he is. Is he a genuine prophet or is he moving in the occult or in the demonic? And then add to that, the the, the rabbinical legends tells us that he was a prophet like unto Moses. In rabbinical legends, legends, he's seen as somebody of equal standing and power and authority as Moses. 
Now, what I can tell you is this, that Balaam is not a fictitious personality. He's not allegorical, but he is, in fact, attested to be a real person who lived in history because archaeological findings attest to his existence because there is mention of him in the actual archaeological findings that there are. Nonetheless, I want to encourage us as we look at this uh, account of Balaam, we must not be sidetracked by the sensational aspects of who Balaam is and to miss the point of what God is wanting to tell us through this whole episode. The scriptures don't waste its pages merely to entertain us with fantastical distractions, but instead every account is divinely curated to establish an entrance for instruction and for truth. Amen. If we are able to focus on what is the right thing, then the whole account of Balaam will make sense for us. We'll be able to look past all the peripheral narrative to arrow in on the core of what this whole account is about. And having found the core, then all the peripheral matters will begin to come into proper perspective. Okay? So let's plunge into this. And I want to begin by looking at this account of Balaam by saying that the first question that is raised for us is that do we serve a God that is contradicted? Because the narrative of Balaam presents a very curious question for us. When Balaam was first approached by, with the proposition of cursing Israel, he sought the Lord as to what he should do. And in Numbers chapter 22, verse 12, God comes and he answers Balaam and he says, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. But then Balaam, of course, didn't accept this answer from Balaam. And so he sends a second deputation with greater honour, with greater offer of remuneration, so that Balaam would consider again to curse Israel. And interestingly, Balaam then seeks God a second time, and this time the answer from God is different. In Numbers 22 verse 20, we're told that God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the man come to call you, rise, go with them, but only the word, word which I speak to you that you shall do. To add on to the confusion, you know, in two verses later in verse 22, we are then told that God's anger was aroused because Balaam went with them. Now, think about this. How confusing can this be? First time God sought, uh, uh, Balaam sought God, and, uh, and then the second time uh, he sought God, God's answer changed from no to yes. And then from the second scene to the third scene, having told Balaam to go, God is now angry with Balaam for going. Then why did God say no to Balaam in the first place and then say yes and then still became angry when Balaam went with, uh, with the people? Now this is all very confounding. This is all very puzzling. Does God change his mind about a matter that we are seeking guidance from him from on? Does he give us a set of instructions at this particular moment? And then the next day, he changes his mind and he gives us a different set of instruction. And having given us the, the second set of instructions, and then, you know, and we follow the instruction and still we incur his anger and his displeasure. Now, I think all this points to something important, that understanding this is paramount because it will help us unravel a sense of how we are to follow God. After all, as Christians, it is our desire to know what is the will of God and to seek out to do what is His will. And therefore, explaining the series of contradictory sequence of instructions is important. Now, I want to give us a couple of suggestions, okay, of what, why this um, back and forth that God, uh, you know, seemed to have. And there are rabbis, there are certain sectors of rabbis who explain this change of mind in God by saying that the first statement, do not go with them, meant that Balaam was not to go and curse Israel. 
And then the second word to Balaam was that he could go with them, but he had to make it clear to the people that he could only speak what God has uh, given him to speak. And the reason God's anger was incurred was because Balaam did not disclose this proviso that he could only speak what God told him to speak. So that's some suggestions. Now, others have suggested that the word wisdom is different words. In verse 12, when God said, do not go with them, the Hebrew word is the word imahem. While later, when told to go with them in verse 20, the, the, the word is now changed, it is itam. And the subtle difference between the two words is that imahem means with them mentally as well as physically. But itam means you can go with them physically but not mentally. In other words, one explanation is that Balaam could go with them physically but he was not to be aligned with them in their intentions and in their purpose. And the reason God's anger was aroused was because he went with them physically and not just that, in his heart he joined with them in their intentions. Now I believe that there is actually another possibility of how to explain this and I'll come to this in my third point. But before I come to that, I want to go off and talk about this speaking donkey, okay? Because this is probably the most fascinating part of this whole account. And this portion of account literally comes straight out of the movie Shrek. You got a talking donkey. How amazing is that? Maybe this, you might think to yourself, hey, maybe this is like Aesop's Tales that somehow, you know, the biblical writers, they inserted a little parable in the midst of this account to point something out to us. Now, I, let me tell you this. I believe that this account of the talking donkey is neither allegorical in its nature, nor is it fictitious. In other words, what I believe is that this account is to be accepted as is. The donkey actually spoke. And there is a reason why the, the donkey spoke. But, you know, take a look for a moment at what happened. Okay? The prophet and the donkey goes to Balak. But for some reason, the eyes of the prophet was blinded such that he could not see that on the way, the angel of the Lord appeared with a sword drawn and he stood against him. And instead of the prophet seeing this, it's the donkey who sees the angel. Now, the angel doesn't come once. He comes three times, right? On three occasions. And all three times, the donkey sees the angel with his, draw, with, with his drawn sword. And three times, he sought to avoid the angel. And each time, the path that the, the prophet and the donkey had to traverse through becomes more and more narrower, uh, more and more narrow, such that the avoidance of the angel became increasingly difficult. Each time the pain caused to the prophet becomes greater, and each time the prophet gets angrier with the donkey. And finally, the donkey couldn't take it anymore. He speaks and reasons with the prophet before the prophet's eyes were finally opened, and now he also sees the angel of the Lord. Now, clearly, this supernatural episode involving an angel, a talking donkey, they, they, they are not there just to spice the account up. Amen? The Bible doesn't do dramatic for the sake of dramatic. But there is, a, there is something that is indicative for us that there's, that there's such an important lesson that an added punctuation and astonishment is needed in order to capture our attention and tell us how important what God is wanting to communicate to us. Amen? You see, we need to see that all this imagery has an intention. The imagery of a path that is narrowing and getting more and more restricted. You know, God's adversarial constriction of Balaam's journey. We need to also observe that. You know, at the first instance of the appearance of the angel, the donkey went off track into the field. 
Isn't that descriptive of when we cannot see where God wants us to go? And the second instance, Balaam's foot now gets crushed. Something about the walk of Balaam is affected. And in the third instance, all progress comes to a halt and the donkey simply sat down and re- refused to move. Now, all this is, you know, all this is you know, somewhat of a parallel to show us about what happens when we do not obey God. What is happening perhaps at the end of this is what is most puzzling, right? God puts all these obstacles, He puts all these hindrances in the way of Balaam to tell Balaam somehow that he's not pleased with where he's going. And yet at the end of it, when Balaam asked the Lord, should I then still go with Balak? God said to Balaam, go, right? Now, I don't know about you, but that really is puzzling, which brings me to why I think this, what, I, what I think this lesson is really about. Because when you piece all these things together, why the conflicting responses from God to the same question which Balaam raised? Why such an odd and unusual choreography of cast, all to hinder the prophet from going to Balak? And then yet at the end of it, still there was consent for Balaam to proceed on to Balak. And the possible answer to all this is simply this, that the hardest word for anyone to hear in any language is the answer, no. Let me repeat that for us. The hardest answer for anyone to receive, to understand in any language and to accept is the answer, no. How many of you like it when you ask for something and the answer comes back as no? You see, God's first answer to Balaam is the answer, no. And Balaam obeyed and he sent the delegation from Balak away. But when they came a second time, we see through the veneer of Balaam's initial obedience. He knows God's answers already. He knows that it is a no. And still he asked them to stay and he wanted to ask God one more time because perhaps God would change his mind. Balaam's inward desire to go with them is betrayed by this single act of asking them to stay a second night. The invitation to stay is but an indication of Balaam's unwillingness to accept God's initial answer of no. The, answer spo- the second answer spoken is not that God changed his mind, but it speaks of God's ways towards those who would not accept a no from him. You know what God does? He gives them exactly what they want. And the other scriptures, other scriptures attest to this. In Psalms 106 verse 15, we're told this, that God gave Israel their request, but he sent leanness into their souls. In Hebrews 11 verse 15, For truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. You see, when we don't want to go where God wants us to go, God will give us what we want ourselves. When we reject God's no and insist in our own ways, God will confirm our desires to us. But the thing is this, His blessings will not be with us. Now then, what of the angel? What of the speaking donkey? Why something so complicated? Why something so fantastical? Well, God permitted Balaam to pursue his own heart's desire, which is to go, but he would not allow the prophet to proceed as if he had divine consent from God. He doesn't want Balaam to think that God actually agreed with him, and he doesn't want us to know, to think for a moment that God actually changed his mind. And hence, God orchestrates the most elegant means to demonstrate to us what happens when we refuse the no that he gives to us. Think about the irony of the whole account. An animal that is known for its stubbornness is used to speak to the stubborn nature of a prophet that chooses his own ways. God could have used a rooster, 
God could have used any other animal, but he used a very creature of stubbornness to speak of the stubbornness to the prophet. A prophet who's supposed to see does not see, but an animal who, does, who isn't meant to see sees. The prophet who's called a seer becomes blind and the blind be- begins to see. The donkey who, couldn't, who shouldn't speak now reasons with the prophet, while the intelligent now only acts in unreasoning anger. Balaam was a prophet of great renown, so much so that the rabbinical traditions declare him to be of equal standing with Moses. And yet when God chooses, even a simple donkey without a name can be a greater prophet than he who is renowned. A humble animal burden beholds the angel of the Lord, but the self-important prophet misses the pre-incarnate Christ. You see, every time in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord appears, it is a picture of Christ before incarnation. And the great prophet misses Christ, but a humble animal gets to see the Lord. Now, what is most pertinent for us here is that there is an ironical conclusion to our end when we refuse the no's that God delivers to us. This is attested to in other parts of Scripture in refusing the instructions of God. Solomon, the wisest, did the most foolish thing. In refusing the boundaries set over his life, Samson, who was supposed to be a deliverer, became himself enslaved. The very thing they are supposed to do, you begin to suffer from it. There is perhaps also an archetype of what is a true prophet versus a false prophet that is pointed out for us here. For Balaam stands in direct contrast to Moses, almost in the direct opposite, and how different they are from each other. And you see, the false prophet speaks, but the true prophet listens. The false prophet tells the people what they want to hear, but the true prophet tells them what they need to hear. The false prophet believes in his own power, but the true prophet knows that he has none. The false prophet speaks in his own voice, but the true prophet speaks in a voice not his own. Take a look at Moses' life. Every time he's confronted by an issue, he comes to God and confesses to the people that he has no power to deliver or to do anything. And it is God who delivers, God who works the miracles. Amen. I mean, Moses was always pointing the people back to the Lord. Now, the question though then is for us, what is the application for us? It is easy for us to look at this message and then be tripped up by fear as though God is out to punish us for every deviation from His will. You can look at this thing and say, wow, this is how God deals with Balaam. I need to be very, very careful that I do not deviate from God's will whatsoever. We can perceive in some petty human terms and think that God will end up granting us what we want, but then He ambushes us thereafter with various punishments. Can I say this to us, that this is not the kind of God that we serve. You and I know this. If you've been following God for a while, you've been following Jesus for a while, you you will recall many times in which you have been faithless and yet God remained faithful. You'll recall many times in which you have made mistakes, and I've made mistakes, And despite of that, God has brought me back on track with Him. That we made wrong decisions, but still He looks after us and provides for us and draws us back to what is the right decision. And that's the true nature of our God. That is who the Lord is. He is one who loves us, who cares for us, who is merciful towards us. The account in the Scripture is given to really point us to the fact that there is a character development and change that God is going after. It is to help us understand that there is a right and there is a wrong. There is that which is righteous and that which is unrighteous. There is that which God approves of and that which God does not approve of. 
And Balaam's nature points to a deeper human nature that is in every one of us, that if it is undealt with, if, if that old nature is left undealt with, then it will bear consequences in the long term. Now, I'm not talking about choosing simple things like what to wear, where I'm going to eat later after, you know, service. What's the career path that I need to choose? Where should I stay? I'm not talking about these things. You see, when God speaks to us about something, He's speaking beyond just the actions or the decisions that we are to make. But He's speaking into our nature. He's speaking to us about our propensities, our flaws, our weaknesses, and the things that need to be corrected. You need to know this when God speaks to us about something in our lives, about what we're, what we're to do. It is not just about the action. God always looks a lot deeper into what is inside of us. And, you know, and, and those are the things that over time, if it's left unchecked, uncorrected, these natures, these flaws will begin to grow and they'll end up governing our lives and our decisions. In the case of Balaam, it boiled down to a single decision that he had to make, to go with Balak or not. And that was the, 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 a picture of the, of the definitive decision that he made. But for us, the dealings of God is not like that. The dealings of God is a continual process that begins when we give our lives to the Lord and it continues until our journey here on the earth ends. In refusing the no from God, what is unveiled in Balaam is a nature of greed, of honor-seeking and deviousness in his character. And the question for us is this, whenever God, asks, uh, whenever God gives us a no, what does it reveal in us? In the case of Balaam, it reveals certain specific things. But every time we ask God and seek God for something and God's answer to us is no, let me tell you this, it's not just about the no, it is what is provoked by the no. Is there a provocation of a sense like, you know, Lord, I need vengeance. Lord, I want justice. Lord, this is what I want to do. But Lord, I, you know, you know I, I'm worthy of this. You know, this is what I deserve. This is my right. What is it that is provoked in us? This is what God is really going after. And the question then to which we need to level our attention upon is what is God saying no to you about? When we have kids, we say a lot of no to our kids. And there is a reason why we say no to them. Amen? And the same way God says no to us, there is a reason because in His saying no, what does it provoke in us? And what does it really speak about that nature and that character in us that He wants to deal with? It is the no that reveals the true desires of our hearts. And in seeing that true nature, there is a call then for us to repentance, to a realignment of our thinking patterns so that it lines up with the way God thinks. It calls us to change whether to deal with the greed, the self-seeking, the ambition, the loving of honour from people, covetousness, and the likes of different things. You see, this is what God does. The greatest thing that we can have is when we have people in our lives that would lovingly tell us no. Amen? The best thing that we can have is when there are people who love us enough to say no to us. And what more when we have a God who loves us so much, who sees way ahead of us, and who sees deep enough in us, who will be willing to say no to us. There's a man who shared the testimony about visiting a drug rehab center, seeing hundreds of drug addicts trying to recover and to kick the habit of drug addiction. And he spoke to the people that worked there, the social workers, and, you know, and they shared with, with him uh, their pain 
that for every success they see, they see many others who fail and who have to come back into the center over and over again. And he asked these social workers, why do you keep doing this? And they said simply to him, because nobody else is going to say no to them when they're out there. And we are the only voices in their lives that would lovingly say no to them. You see, when there is no one in our lives that says no to us, we are in a bad place. We are not in a good place. And the Bible tells us this, that when God loves us and we are legitimate children, sons and daughters of His, then He will discipline us. To be disciplined by God is a good thing. Amen? Amen? Because something is evoked when God says no. I want to share this with us because in my own life, you know, God has said no to me many times in many things. And it is in my reaction to His no that brings out the true nature that's in me. I begin to see things in me. I begin to see a cry for what I think is justice, but instead of justice, what I found in me was vengeance. And times when God says no to me, there are times where I would, what I would think to myself, hey, my motivation is pure. But as the Lord says no to me, my true motivation is revealed and there's self. What is, it the no, what is the no that God is saying to us? And I want to ask us to pay attention to those moments of no because in the no is the most redemptive purpose that God has for our lives. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.